Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is a Lip Media Podcast. This is Off Topic Hot Topic, a bonus episode of the Hunting Seasons Podcast. Huzzah! Off Topic Hot Topic. That's whatever you were talking about for you. Before we get into things, you should know that we love getting topic suggestions from our listeners. So if you would like to contribute a topic, a uh, question or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. Now, Damask, before we get into sort of the frivolities of today, there mm-hmm. was a particular news story you really wanted to talk about. Do you want to lead us off there? I did. So some pretty heartbreaking news over the last couple of days, which was the passing of Naya Rivera. Um, I just want to say a few words about that. Well, more than a few, but I'd like to speak on that if I may. Not many celebrity deaths affect me. They're always sad, of course, but I don't know them. So there is a natural level of separation. I cried for Heath Ledger because he was far, far too young. I cried for Carrie Fisher because she played a role that allowed me to see myself in a character during my formative years. And I cried for Naya Rivera because she was both of those things. Too young and playing a role that allowed me to see myself during my formative years as a young queer person. Naya Rivera's character of Santana is linked to my journey as a queer woman. As her character developed, so did my first relationship and first love. I fell into my own identity and explored it alongside her character, Santana. There was more to her, Santana that is, that I identified with than just being a lesbian character. She had something few other queer characters had during the coming out stage. It was a confused anger. It was something I had within myself too. I was angry that I was different. There was a world of shame swirling inside of me and it made me feel very vulnerable. And instead of embracing the vulnerability and learning to love myself, what I built were impenetrable walls that if ever breached would unleash a vitriolic attack on whoever was nearby. This added to the shame. It was compounding. It's confusing to outwardly and intellectually tell yourself that there is nothing wrong with being gay and yet you can feel within yourself a deprivation of self-love. You can see those around you who care, but it feels impossible to reach out and pull them into who you really are. Santana had this, and it was important for me to see. Now, this role of Santana wasn't an easy one to pull off, but Naya Rivera was so talented. It really was undeniable for anyone that watched Glee. Her ability to make the character of Santana a terrifying foe, but also one that carried within her the heart of what Glee initially set out to be a show that celebrates difference. Naya Rivera played gay, but she did more than that. Firstly, she advocated for Santana. She was proud of the character and demanded more for her. She wanted her character's arc to be something of value to young queer people and to have a depth that few characters on Glee had. Secondly, she also embraced the queer community that was hungry for more representation. 
Heather Hogan, one of my favourite pop culture writers, spoke about how almost a decade ago now, many actors who were gay for pay were reluctant to speak to queer media, not wanting to be painted with that brush, not wanting to be pigeonholed. But Naya Rivera was different. She was happy to engage with the community, the conversations within the fandom around her characters coming out, and to be seen as an ally. I cried a lot when Naya Rivera's death was confirmed. I was sad because she was so, so important to me, but I felt really silly for feeling that way. I didn't know her, but she meant so much to me. She was a figure that I could attach myself to before I had found my own queer family. She was my community. On reflection, I know I hadn't needed that for a long time, but the importance of who Naya was, sorry, but the importance of who Naya was during those years never went away. I wanted her to know how important she was to me because she was, she really, really was. Dana Pickley, who has been speaking so beautifully about the effect Naya had on the queer community, reassured all fans of Naya's on Twitter by saying, don't think for a moment that she didn't know what she meant to you. She absolutely did. And the proof of that is in how Naya interacted and embraced the LGBT plus community and the pride with which she spoke about Santana, who we all loved so much. Ultimately, I find it hard to successfully articulate what she meant to me. Naya Rivera was someone that allowed me to see through the cracks of my own fears, which were blinding at the time, and to begin to forgive myself for my own shortcomings. I learned to be brave in love by watching Santana be fearful. I am so sorry for her family. The loss is unimaginable. She only lived for 33 years, but I do hope that they can find some comfort in seeing what a difference she made to so many people. She will certainly be missed. And that's what I want to say. Thanks for sharing that, Damask. Um, The... Sentiments you've expressed have definitely been, um, I've seen far and wide online, mm. on Twitter and so yeah. forth. Um, I'm not someone who's watched Glee really at all, so I didn't have any real connection to Naya, but um, hard to not feel the effect of this on those mm. people. I don't think it's silly to feel that way at all. I think this is a good example, or I guess an example of how much representation in pop culture matters. Mm. It's obviously matter yeah. a lot to you. We've talked about this a lot before with all sorts of different things. Um, and our Cora season four review was a really, really good example. You had a really beautiful message in mm. that one as well. Um, and so, yeah, this is just tragic. Yeah, I feel awful. like most times when I cry on the podcast, it's generally around the importance of representation. Like you said, Cora was a big one. Um, I think we've also spoken in an off-topic, hot-topic segment before in regards to Hester Shaw of Mortal yes. Engines and how yeah. I was really disappointed by that representation um, that they decided to go with. So, like, it obviously speaks to a very big reason as to why, like, I attach myself to television or stories like this. Um, yeah, like, it, it does affect you. And I think the it's yeah it, it you do feel a, a bit silly but then in seeing all of the outpouring of you know just what she meant to a lot of people it made me go oh well it, it makes sense it really makes sense to feel that way 
it's a little off topic from this ex- exactly. There's currently debates going on in Australia about, well, not debates necessarily, but with everything that's going on, the lack of support that's been given to the arts community in Australia. Mm. And it's stuff like this where you talk about how important art is, pop culture, representation, all that sort of stuff is. Yeah. And you realise how valuable it is to you as a person to be able to, you know, comfortably be who you are. And it's just it, just another yeah. reason it frustrates me that it's not getting the sort of support or the recognition it deserves and the yeah, help and it deserves at the moment financially. Even in a time like right now where things are so hard and we're all like emotionally stretched in so many different ways as, mm. you know, waves of just more shit keep coming through, like just terrible news after terrible news how many of us sit just on our couch you know whenever we can just to find some comfort in stories absolutely yeah um on the note of naya as well though i think i just want to bring up as well um that the former mythbusters host grant Mm. imahara suddenly died as well this week i think just yesterday from when we're recording at the age of 49 from a brain aneurysm just out of nowhere which yeah. is tragic too. I don't think either of us have that big a connection to him, but I watched Mythbusters and he seemed like a lovely guy and certainly that's what I'm reading mm. on Twitter, that he really was one of the good ones and yeah. that's just just so There's, sad as yeah, well. Yeah, been quite a few things like that happening recently and while I didn't have a connection with all of them the way that I did with Naya Rivera, I think just seeing the amount of like sadness and grief out there is like, yeah. you know, it's there's so much going on like I had even before this whole thing had happened, you know, I'd reached my breaking point because um, Melbourne now is back in lockdown, um, yeah. which is why we're recording via Zoom at the moment. The whole JK Rowling situation just kind of getting worse and worse and worse and that breaking my heart on that level. Sure. Just, you know, the existence of Trump and what's happening in America is just so heartbreaking. It was just so much. And then... Naira Vera's first went missing and then was confirmed to be dead. It was, <laughs> I've reached my limit. I'll, I'll say that. I've absolutely reached my limit at the moment. Yeah. It's, yeah. 2020 sucks. And this last <laughs> few weeks yeah. has been particularly bad. Somehow it's been getting worse. And yes, in Melbourne, so not all of Australia is like it was previously, but Melbourne where we live is now back in lockdown. So we're back to stage three restrictions, mm-hmm. which basically means you can't leave unless you've got something essential to do at the moment. So we're back to recording online. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bonus of that is you're going to get video podcasts again, probably in some mm-hmm. form. They'll probably be still later than the audio ones, but they will go up if that's something you're into. Um, and we're doing an off-topic hot topic today to sort of fill in some time because I'm a bit like you. I quite haven't quite reached my limit necessarily, but I've mm. had a hard time just sitting down to concentrate and watch a show. I've been watching a lot, but also there's four of us in the house again. So TV time to myself to watch what I want to watch for the podcast is hard. Yeah. And also it takes a certain amount of effort to be able to watch something and analyze it as we do it. I just haven't really yeah. been in the mood. So Black Sails Season 1 is definitely coming <laughs> sooner than later, but just not right yet. Yeah, I've got uh, two episodes left to watch of that and I just haven't had the energy. I've been re-watching old seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race because I know what happens and it is very comforting at the moment. When we get into the watch, what we've been watching bit at the end of this podcast, you're going to see I'm watching a lot of stuff that I've seen before. Mm. <laughs> I'm going back over some things. Uh, let's do some news first though. Uh, news in fuller. Absolutely fucking nothing. There's nothing going on there. <laughs> nothing has changed there. Yeah. Some headlines. Uh, some premiere dates. So this is some happy news. AP Bio Season 3 is premiering on September 3rd on NBC. Uh, oh, sorry, NBC streaming platform Peacock. Uh, so that's coming up for people who 
uh, were enjoying that because that initially was cancelled after season two, which has been brought back for season three, mm. which is exciting. Uh, the first seven episodes of Pen 15's second season will debut on Hulu on September 18th. It's mm-hmm. unknown when the back half of that season, the second, the Second lot of seven episodes will go up, but that will come later on, maybe later in the year, maybe early next year. We'll see. Yeah. Are you excited about either of those, AP Bio or Pen15? Um, yeah, both. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of both of those shows. Pen15 actually is something that I've rewatched a bunch because it's oh, just, cool. it really isn't. Have you watched it? Um, I've watched that one episode where they're on AOL Messenger. Right. <laughs> uh, which I thought was really, really good. I mean, maybe All of it the rest. is pitch perfect it's mm. such a joy i think for people our age to go back and remember the glory days nostalgia yeah of flip phones and yeah well aol but we had msn messenger and all that yeah. stuff um yeah and ap bio is incredible it's one of those shows that gets better um as it goes along and i it was i was really happily surprised by it i wasn't interested in watching another show about a confident asshole um but it really does win you over. Just on the um, AOL Messenger thing, have you noticed there's been a lot of nostalgia for MySpace recently? I think um, people I just... have, and I get it. <laughs> you get it? Yeah. <laughs> totally get it. Especially, yeah, yeah throw Facebook under a bus. Uh, some renewals. The Great is officially returning for a second season on Hulu. That's very exciting. I look Excellent. forward to reviewing that with you. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller's cult animated hit show cult hit show, I should say, Clone High, which only had 13 episodes and was cancelled in 2003, is getting new episodes um, on MTV. So, this is basically going to be a reboot or sort of like a revival of that show, apparently. Um, I've not seen any of it. I've been meaning to go out and watch it because I love Lord Miller's stuff. I have for a long time now, but I've never seen Clone High. Have you seen any of that? No, I don't even think I've heard of it. Yeah, it gets talked about a lot as being this great animated TV show, but... um, and cool. yeah, it's definitely got a cult following. It's one of those things that's like, oh, yeah, I should check that out because people talk about it. But, mm. it, you know, obviously 30 episodes never took off. Uh, Amazon's Young Assassin series, Hannah, which was originally based on a movie with Eric Banner, I believe. Um, Kate is getting was a th- in it as well, wasn't she? Who was it? Kate, Kate Blanchett. Blanchett. Might have been. And Saoirse uh, Ronan was... It was like- Saoirse Ronan. I was trying to remember who it was that was playing Hannah in that. It might have been. I think that's right. Anyway, it's getting a third season, so that's cool. going well. Netflix's The Crown, this is a surprise, is... Mm getting a sixth season after all. So you may remember a little while back I reported that it was only going to do a fifth season, mm. one season with uh, the the whoever's taking over after um, Olivia Coleman, whose name right. is escaping me now. Yeah. Um, but now they've decided, and I'll, I'll quote this from Variety, writer-creator Morgan... Uh, said, as we started to discuss the storylines of season five, it soon became clear that in order to do justice to the richness and complexity of the story, we should go back to the original plan and do six seasons. To be clear, series six will not bring us any closer to the present day. It will simply enable us to cover the same period in greater detail, though it has been suggested now that's going to, that period they're talking about is up to the early 2000s. Which oh, is interesting. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think that was the case, but that is going to include Dana's death then. Um, so, yes, fascinated by that. Interesting. So, the next bunch, it's got to be early uh, Diana and Charles, right? With a bit of... Early Diana and Charles and Thatcher era is the next season yeah. we're getting with the Olivia Coleman, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And then the one after that, yeah, we'll, we'll see basically. Cool. Um, some sad cancellations. Katie Keene, the CW Riverdale spinoff was cancelled after one season. Never saw any of that. Did that? No. Did you give that a try? No. <laughs> no idea about it. 
And fellow Riverdale spin-off The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina mm. is to end after its upcoming fourth season as well. We Probably reviewed the wise. first two seasons of that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get around to watch is season three out? I think it is. Probably. Did you ever watch no, any of that? No, I didn't. Yeah, no, it just it was silly but not as fun as it should be for the amount of silliness, I think, at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and this one's a really sad one, <sighs> kind of, because I sort of saw this coming as well. Showtime dark comedy series Kidding, starring Jim Carrey, has officially been cancelled and will not return for a third season. I'm sad about that because I think the creative forces behind it uh, are really amazing. They're doing yeah, some absolutely. very unique and brilliant stuff on television. I love that show. I did kind of feel like the second season ended in a kind of a perfect way. I was hesitant well, that's the thing, is to I- know what a third season was going to be. Mm, I... Would happily watch more from them, but mm. season one and two, it's like a brilliant story, just those two alone. So I'm not yeah. feeling like I'm missing out on a satisfying ending or I'm not like, oh, but what about this, this and this? Like what is there is amazing and people, yeah. if you haven't watched it, you absolutely should because um, it's such a beautiful creative gem that like I haven't really seen anything like it before. Um but, yeah, it's it's sad if they wanted to tell more stories, but I, as a viewer, don't feel cheated, I don't think. Yeah, it feels relatively whole. Mm. And to have something that can just exist as its thing and feel complete and not feel cheated out of an ending or not feel like it went on too long and started mm-hmm. to diminish yeah. is kind of a good thing in its own way. Mm-hmm. It's obviously sad, yeah, from a creative standpoint, we don't know what we're missing out on. But I'm very, very happy for what we got. And um, I'm sad to see the show go, but also suggest everyone go and check out season one and two. It's excellent. Uh, some pickups of new shows that are coming up. The Clone Wars animated series is getting a spin-off called The Bad Batch. It's apparently based on some of the clone soldiers after Order 66 that were in the original Clone Wars series. That sounds kind of cool. That sounds like an interesting idea. I think fans of that series that's been around for a while now will be happy to hear there's more of that happening. Mm. Um, Star I'm trying Wars- to get into the Clone Wars. Yeah. And I, I think I got into maybe season two. I don't know. Like, it was missing something for me. Maybe it gets better. I'm sure it does. But I, I, I'm I kind of more didn't know tempted who to, to care about at that point. I, I, I certainly am interested in the character of Ahsoka. Mm. And I'm probably more interested in, like, Rebels, um, yeah. which is the series, series after that between episodes three and four of the movies. Mm. That's got more unique char- as in original characters because that's the problem that yeah. Clone Wars has I think it's got to include Yoda, Yoda and Mace Windu and well, Obi-Wan it, yeah. and blah blah the world at that point is so large and they're including so much that to me it felt disjointed mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was meant to be investing in I think is probably the issue less through line lots of very like here's this mission this yeah. week with these characters Which, let's then yeah. jump all the way over here and yeah it might be cool if like maybe you know more about the world or you're fascinated by the world but I was always more interested in the characters within it but yeah but Star Wars in general seems to be, at least from a popularity level, kicking goals on TV. So I don't think more of that is a bad thing at the moment. I think yeah, people are happy for that. The Fallout series of video games is getting a TV series on Amazon. Are you Have you ever played any Fallout games? Are you aware of Fallout? I've played maybe 15 minutes of one. Okay. So, so a bit of an expert over here. Yep. Originally was like an isometric uh, Western RPG in Fallout 1 and 2. Has isometric. Since become- yeah, and just the, the the way it's viewed, it's like sort of like top down sort of thing. Right. Anyway, I mean, yeah, back, no, I, I know what you mean. Bro, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, isometric. And mm. then it's now become a first person Western RPG. 
um, Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 4, Fallout 76. Um, <laughs> and it's an interesting thing because it's like it's set in like a post-apocalyptic Aren't they uh, all? America, mm-hmm. but also the apocalypse started somewhere in like the 50s. So it's got this real retro vibe to it as well. Everything's yeah, cool. like, um, and, and it's a lot of fun. I definitely enjoy that world a lot. It's being put together by Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan, aka the showrunners for Westworld. <laughs> Good luck. Which is interesting because. Fallout as a series is not necessarily like it's got a lot of lore, but it's not necessarily narratively driven. Like you create your own character, you sort of like bend the story the direction you want to go. It's a lot about exploring and like choices and stuff. Mm. So creating a what you would think is like a single lane narrative on TV seems weird. Seems like an interesting an odd choice. I don't know why where they're going for there, and I don't trust. Christina I mean, Nolan I think they're very joy. comfortable with making odd choices. So. Mm. Anyway, I'm just going to let uh, them live, but I won't be watching it. Most this, likely. Oh, I'm curious to see what it's like. Who knows who else is going to be involved? So what that's going to turn into. But this is joining a lot of TV shows that are getting. Apparently, they've given up on trying to turn video games into movies. That's no, not Fair worked. Enough. Experiment over. Mm-hmm. Let's just turn them into TV shows. The Last of Us is coming to HBO. There's a Halo series coming. Borderlands, Castlevania, The Witcher is already on. So this is. Um, this is an interesting sort of turn for those for the for video games being turned into other mediums. I also want to just comment on this, which I think is really interesting. Uh, via Leslie Goldberg at the Hollywood Reporter, this is about the deal that was made to get Fallout to Amazon. Has it has a serious commitment penalty attached? That means that if Amazon execs like the script, Fallout would bypass the traditional pilot stage and go directly to series, or if they pass it over. All involved would be paid out in full. They don't even have a writer attached yet. How do you but get deal that deal? Amazing deal, right? Oh, my That's God. That's a very, very good question. How, why would they ever sign up? That's, wow. Good so, Lord. there's a lot of confidence there for something that doesn't even have a script yet. No writer attached to write the script. And they're not even going to, if they like it, they don't even go to pilot. They have to go to series with it. That's, but either way, they're getting paid. Amazon has too much money. Is what we're saying there. Um, the upcoming Matt Reeves' The Batman film. This mm-hmm. is like the fourth or fifth Batman reboot on yeah. film. Is that with uh, Robert Pattinson? Is that what? Correct, yeah. starring Robert Pattinson. Is getting an HBO Max prequel series all about the Gotham City Police. Okay. Uh, Haven't this they already quote, done that with Gotham? <laughs> this quote comes from uh, Sam Basanti at the AV Club. Our good friend Sam. Uh, the show will be written by Boardwalk Empire's Terence Winter and Deadline says it will build up the film's examination of the anatomy of corruption in Gotham City and will further explore the myriad complex characters of Gotham. So the question there is, didn't Gotham, Gotham, mm. the series about yeah. the Gotham Police Department already do this? Yeah, the answer yes. Do, <laughs> and do we need another police show, fictional city or not, mm. on TV at the moment? So they, it'll be about. Uh, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm so tired of. So it'll be about corruption. Yep. Um. I mean, yeah. No, I'm not interested at all. If it was maybe about like, I guess villain in a sense taking down, like twisting the story. I guess so. It's not about. I don't know, just villains versus the fucking police would be fine. But I don't know what they're doing. And do we need more 
fucking Batman content. No, we fucking don't. We fucking oh, don't. Sure. The Here's the thing. We don't know anything really except some still shots of this Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves, Batman yet. Maybe mm. I'll come away from that movie going, this is such an original and interesting take on the idea of Batman and Gotham that I want to know more. I need yep. to know what came before this, what the situation was like with the Gotham Police Department, etc. Until then, though, could not care less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that movie has to do a lot <laughs> to make me interested in that. Yeah. Speaking of Batman, and I'm hopefully saying this name right, Javisha Leslie is replacing Ruby Rose, Ruby Rose as the lead in Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's she'll be taking over from Cat. Kane. Kate Kane is no longer going to be in the show, sorry. She'll be taking the character of Ryan Wilder. Cool. Uh, Javisha will be the first black actress to play a live-action Batwoman, which is pretty cool. Uh, this next quote comes from Shannon Miller at the AV Club. Uh, and so the quote is actually that of uh, of Leslie. I am extremely proud to be the first black actress to play the iconic role of Batwoman on television, Leslie said in a statement. And as a bisexual woman, I am honoured to join this groundbreaking show, which has been such a trailblazer for the LGBTQ plus community. Warner Brothers Television describes burgeoning hero Ryan Wilder as likable. That's always a great yeah. descriptor. <laughs> Brilliant. Messy, a little goofy, and untamed, and a girl who would steal milk for an elderly uh, sorry for an alley cat, and could also kill you with her bare hands. Uh, in short, nothing like Kate Kane. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about this? Um. Yeah, amazing opportunity for her. Um, interesting for the show, uh, interesting challenge for the show. Um, I mean, I tried to watch Batwoman, as you know, and I couldn't because mm-hmm. it was truly awful. You, you gave it your all. You gave it your all. <laughs> I did. Um, and at this point, if the world doesn't recover and I don't feel better, I'm... I refuse to punish myself anymore. You know what I mean? Like things are so dark. I don't need to go like seek out pain, which is what was happening with Batwoman previously. I hope it improves. I'm sure she'll do a wonderful job. Love that she's bisexual. Fantastic. Um, But no, I won't be watching it. But good luck to them all. The thing that in particular makes it hard to go back to is you suggested in your review that Ruby Rose wasn't the worst thing about no, the show. It was the writing <laughs> and the direction. And, so, and the amount of flashbacks was upsetting and insulting. So Ruby Rose leaving doesn't fix the problems, and that's that's the problem there. Uh, the last bit of news before we get into what we've been watching. The Happy Endings Isolation Reunion Special is officially happening on July 20 at 4pm Pacific Time on Sony Pictures Television YouTube channel. Uh, this next quote comes via Brett Hayes at the AV Club. The cast will perform an original scripted bit titled And the Pandemic Goes To, seems very happy endings, mm-hmm. and will answer questions from fans in a subsequent live Q&A. Fans are encouraged to submit questions to the official Happy Endings account on Twitter using hashtag AskHappyEndings. Damask, have you asked your questions yet? I haven't. Um, I don't like audience participation, so I won't mm. be um, doing that, but I am so excited. I'm just... Oh, it's really lifted my spirits in a, in a, in a big way. I fucking love Happy Endings. It's one of my favourite shows of all time. So upset when it was cancelled. Um, one of the greatest tragedies in my life. Um, that shows you how little I've suffered. But, you know, just putting it in context there. Um, I'm, I'm beside myself. Like, I'm giddy. I'm giddy like it's Christmas morning. Mm. 
I encourage everyone to support this. Go and watch it. Give it your views. Yes, yes, yes. Because I assume the more popular it is, the better it does numbers-wise, the more likely it is mm-hmm. there'll be a revival of Happy Endings, which has been talked about on and off for a long time now. So, yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, Damask, what have you been watching? I've been re-watching, like I said, RuPaul's Drag Race season six. Yes. Which um, is one of my favorite seasons. It's not my favorite. My favorite is season five. So for those of you out there who haven't ever watched a season of RuPaul, jump in at season five. It's fucking great. Is that the one you recommended to me? Like, this seems like isolation would be the perfect time for me to do this, but I haven't. I think so. But also, it is the perfect time, but only if you feel like it. If you don't feel like it, then don't do it. You know what I mean? Like, now is not the time to be forcing homework on yourself. Um, But if you're in the mood, yeah, season five. But I'm watching season six at the moment and... Just loving it. Also, if you do watch it, I would recommend watching the Untucked episode that are a companion piece to each episode, which kind of adds to how you figure out who all these characters are, who they are as people, makes it far more interesting. Um, so I've been watching that. What else? Can you say one? Because I've got to think for a second. Well, I was just thinking, You last time I went to your place, last time I went to record, you were watching Big Brother. Have you caught up on Australian Big Brother at all? Or nah, I fell off. You gave up on that? Okay, yeah, yeah fair up. enough. Oh, here we X on the beach. Oh, X what on the beach. X on the beach? So, apparently it's an English version, which I haven't watched, which I'm sure is blasphemy, but I've been watching the American version. Um, so, what happens is they take a bunch of single people um, they put them in a mansion, ply them with alcohol. I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, a dating show. And then the twist is they're told that that's not actually the show. What you're actually on is a show called X on the Beach in which every couple of, is it every day? I think three of them will go to the beach and they'll have to sit there. And then from the water, one of their exes will appear who will then move into the house. So while they've Ooh. started building these new relationships, their exes come in. So and- just hold on for a second. Mm-hmm. Are they literally like just like submerging from like yeah. just like coming like from the water, just the tip of their hair, and then they're like, it's as if Poseidon. That's has, amazing. Is coming out, being like, hey, it's <laughs> hilarious. And then when if and then obviously they can like vote each other out and stuff. And if an ex is voted out, then they just return to the water, which is hilarious. <laughs> just walk back into the they, sea. Yeah. Yes. Lovely. Sometimes with a flotation device, but yeah, they just walk into the sea. That's um, incredible. So as you can imagine, 
give people who have little to no emotional intelligence heaps of alcohol, put them in a confined space with the excitement of new love, with the horror and trauma of an ex-relationship, the drama. It's, I mean, it's the perfect reality show if you're just looking for straight up drama. Interesting. Mm. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to very quickly talk about Big Brother Australia because I have been watching it Go for up it. to this point. I haven't missed an episode yet. Um, what's really disappointing at this point is the show <laughs> is absolutely stale white bread in that everybody is white and under the age of 35 at this stage. Yeah, boring. Which is really, really boring. Mm-hmm. It's also, we're down to five people currently. Um, two of them are just straight up bullies and are... You you hate them just because they're bad people, mm. and the others. The the biggest problem is this version of Big Brother that we've got, where it's very Survivor esque, where it's all about like strategy and like coming up with alliances mm. and winning immunities and then nominating people and voting them out. Everyone's really bad at the strategy part. Like no <laughs> one's good at it. The obvious yeah. they they go, oh, I can't believe this person turned against me when the writing's been on the wall for ages and you had these opportunities to get rid of them and you didn't. Mm. It's like, I can't root for anybody in this show because none of them are likable, they're all boring, and they're bad at the game. It's like, what am I? What, why, what is appealing about yeah, this Yeah, clearly the casting yet, still person hadn't quite figured out what they should be aiming for. Because looking at the cast, it really does seem as though it's like... A great cast for the previous version of Big Brother that Australia has, which is really just watching people live in a house and like fall in love and then have a couple of fights and then get evicted. Mm -hmm. In terms of like a strategy show, like Australian Survivor, I think always is cast brilliantly. Um, But yeah, clearly that's not what's happened here and they haven't quite figured out how to have, um, yeah, some interesting game players in the house which seems necessary it's that and also just because the housemates are voting them out you're seeing the people of color the few people of color that are in the show get voted out real early yeah like the first three people to get voted out i think were all people of color Mm. and then the other couple that were left all went pretty soon afterwards and i don't suppose anyone in the house has been like has anyone else noticed the fact that we got rid of all the people of color? No, because instantly all the men who who have like athletic or like model mm. bodies and are white and a blokey got together and teamed up to get rid of Everyone. the minorities, essentially. Like that's classic. Like mm. it's it's really revealing of what Australia is, I think. Mm-hmm. It's it's a perfect examination of how this works. Yeah. Um yeah, anyway. Mm. Uh, anything else you've been watching? Yes, I remembered something good that I've actually been watching. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it's available, oh God, I can't remember. I think on Stan, maybe on Netflix. Okay. Who knows? Sure. Um, but it's called Corporate. Oh, right. So it's got two seasons. I believe. Now, should we that- be talking too much about this? Oh, that's be right. Careful. We're going to review it. I'm just going to tell people it. to watch it now. Go for it. I'm going to sure. tell people to watch it now because it's amazing. So it's a workplace comedy. It is one of the darkest, most cynical things I've ever seen, but it is so funny that it's okay. It's actually kind of reassuring and cathartic to watch. So don't you're not going to watch it and feel depressed when you finish it. You're going to watch it, laugh at how depressing life is, and then walk away feeling better, like a weight has been lifted. So this is not going to have the effect that Search Party had on you, which is like no. you found that so cynical and like... No. You hate those people so much. They're not mean people. So, it's not about mean people. It's about um, 
the the systems that we live in, these weird rules that we all live by because of the the pressures, the capitalist society that we live in, really. So it's making fun of the capitalist society and the things that we do and say because of that is really is is more of the focus. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it's watching very it. Very relatable. It very relatable. Yeah. Did you also recently watch a movie? Uh, what's it called? Palm Something. Springs. Palm Springs, yes. I did watch uh, that. Can I ask how? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> can't. Okay. I retract my qu- my my question. Um, so I, looking for it. I was like, I can't find it. It's, wow, amazing. That's incredible. Your That's brother nice. did message me today about how <laughs> I found it. Um, how, and I was like, all right, Once enough. you discovered it washed up on the beach. <laughs> yeah. Once it had appeared to me in a dream. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was, I really liked it. So I was watching it with Angela and I had seen the trailer. So I knew the basic premise. Mm-hmm. She had not, she had no idea what it was about. She knew it had Andy Samberg, who we both love. Cause he's just, you know, one of the few good white men out there. Um, So we started watching it and she was like, what the fuck is happening? This is really confusing. No one would act like that what's going on for the first 10, maybe 15 minutes. And then obviously the reveal of the premise. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I should reveal it or not because people might want to be surprised. So I think it's actually a detriment not to know, but whatever. I kind of feel like I wasn't interested in the movie until I knew what the premise was, Mm. if that makes sense. And I think the premise doesn't give a lot away because it's a genre of film basically at this point. Yes, absolutely. Like, it's I'm I'm gonna say it. Spoilers. What's it called again? Palm Springs. <laughs> Palm Springs. Yeah. Palm Springs. Spoilers. Palm Springs. If you don't want to know the very basic premise, it's a re- repeating day groundhog. Yeah, it's day a groundhog situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a it's a rom com. It's like, the two stars have great chemistry. It's very sweet and funny. It's not like laugh out loud every two seconds. It's just kind of a beautiful development of a relationship, which all good rom-coms should have. It shouldn't just be two archetypes going at each other, which mm-hmm. this is not that at all. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful story about, you know, moving on and like the choices that you need to make in order to be happy and whether or not you are going to be led by fear and insecurity or whether you're going to be able to take a leap or not. You know, it's it's very basic emotional story tell told in a more complicated entertaining way like it, it's a really good rom-com yeah awesome sounds like good content for lovers alike mm. uh the um there's something about the genre the groundhog day genre i'll mm-hmm. call it a genre right that seems to make it surprisingly good like there's surprisingly good a number of good films in that genre, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of those things where not a lot of them get made because no one wants to be accused of being Groundhog Day, right? Mm. It feels like you stole that premise from that Bill Murray movie. But for the ones that get made and TV shows too, mm-hmm. Russian, Russian Doll, Doll. So good. They're almost all winners. The ones in my head that I think of straight away, Groundhog Day, obviously, you're saying Palm Springs is great. Mm-hmm. Russian Doll, uh, Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. That's great too. Like, it just, there's something about that premise that seems to translate really well to the screen. I don't know what it is exactly. Um, maybe it's just the nature of how we consume things and the mm. the fun you get to have with the time travel and the repeats yeah. and stuff yeah, like I that. Yeah, I mean, That's I think it's such yeah. a cool concept. Because in one way, you know, it's how our human brains work is to, like, in our mind, relive things, analyze things different, 
differently. The uh, what ifs. Yeah, and to, yeah. and then you have like that fantasy level of like, well, what if you could go back and change it? Which is so like something we all dream about. <laughs> like, sure. you know, it's it's it makes you feel like a kid, like the world is full of any possibility. Like if you could go back, what would you do? Um, yeah, it's just a brilliant device to add new perspective and to clearly show growth. Yeah. Very cool. Anything else? I think that might be it for me. If anything else comes up, please interrupt. I'm going to quickly try and go through a few things I've been watching. And like I said, because of lockdown, everyone in the house is four of us here at home. We have one TV in the lounge room. It's been a lot of trying to watch things together as a group and Mm. stuff that we want to watch together. One of the things we've fallen into recently, none of us have ever watched the Fast and the Furious films. I Um, want to re-watch all of them. I've only watched the first couple, but Angela refuses. So, oh, okay. Well, I would suggest you do what we do. I'm not sure that the first two or three would really appeal to me that much. And Mm -hmm. from what I understand, it really hits its high watermark in terms of the ones that people love when it gets to four, and I think specifically five, six, and seven, Mm -hmm. which are all the Justin Lin directed ones. Yeah. Um, So, for those who don't know Fast and the Furious, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker-led series of fast car action films, basically. Um, They are ridiculously stupid like <laughs> so want right now so yeah. dumb they mm-hmm. are also ridiculously fun like they it's one of those things that was something that happened i think within the first five minutes of the of, of five when we started watching five we started at five mm. and i just pissed myself laughing at how ridiculous <laughs> what i just saw on screen was mm-hmm. but also how awesome it was. Like, it was something that was so ludicrous, but just they went for it and they played it with sincerity, but you knew they knew mm-hmm. in the way they did it that that it was inherently crazy and ridiculous. And if you just go into it like that, um, looking for a bunch of fun, not wanting to analyze it too deeply about the physics of, like, can two cars pull a giant safe through a city and not kill thousands of people <laughs> as they <laughs> along the way as they do it? Yeah. Like, the amount of of unintended death there would be, let alone intentional death. Actually, I just remembered what the thing is. The thing was mm-hmm. that it was so funny when it happened. At the very start of... I don't know what the, how this got there, but Vin Diesel's character of Dom, he's been incarcerated, right? He's been arrested and found guilty of some crime. I don't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. He's on this bus full of prisoners in the middle of the desert. They're being taken to prison. And so Paul Walker and friends show up in cars and they pull this massive like escape for him. But how do they how do they have this escape happen? They cause the bus full of these prisoners to have a massive accident, like roll <laughs> out of control. <laughs> it's the most violent bus crash I've ever seen. And then it cuts to a new segment of everyone talking about how Dom got away. Mm. And when the presenter, like a very Anderson Cooper type person says Miraculously, there were no fatalities. <laughs> I was just like, okay, okay, I get what this is now. Yeah. I understand. I'm sure there uh, were plenty of seatbelts on that prison bus. On that yeah. prison bus, <laughs> yeah. completely packed full of people, just ripped in half this yeah. bus. With all their no limbs like handcuffed and stuff. <laughs> no fatalities. Um, mm. It is just the epitome of popcorn entertainment, and uh, we've enjoyed five, six, and seven quite a lot. I've got, I've got a question for you though. Please, please, um, please. Because I think one reason that Angela doesn't want to dive in um, mm-hmm. is because she she's doesn't a like bitch. family. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Um, on what level of like, from one to ten, how misogynistic is it? Um, is it alright? Oh, okay. That's a good question. Yeah. Because I would say. 
Okay, I also want to say that this has been a series of films that I've sort of been watched while I've done other things. I often come home from work, mm-hmm. have to finish my notes, it's on the background. So I'm not always paying attention until loud stuff starts happening. Mm-hmm. So I could be wrong <laughs> yeah. about what I'm about to say, okay? Yeah. That's the level of like attention that I've wanted from it. That's been good. Um, yes. <laughs> there is a lot of emphasis on family and like bonds to each other and love and their partners and those sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. So women, I think, are in a certain, especially certain characters, are treated, you know, equally. They are considered to be, you know, just as good as the men at things, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, very, very strong, you know, action hero type women in this character. Gal Gadot, you know, very, very capable. Is Gal Gadot uh, in it? She's in all three films that I've seen oh so far. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like, good to know. Very, very capable. Um, mm-hmm. That sort mm-hmm. of things. Then you'll go to Rio and you'll know it's Rio de Janeiro because they'll keep showing the statue of Jesus God, every time yeah. they have to do cut a nostalgia shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just cut two. Yeah. All right. Just count how many times. Um, <laughs> and they'll go, then they'll, you'll see women who have got skirts that are above the, like, the bottom of their ass cheeks. And mm-hmm. Dom and Paul Walker's character will look at each other and go, it's good being home. And it's like, <laughs> So there's definitely that bit where we were really objectified <laughs> at times. Yeah. Um, and may very, I say, nothing so. reminds me of home more than half a budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it. So there's that too. Uh, so it's like, I'll say it's above Michael Bay. Yeah. But it's like. Below anything below else. Below anything else. <laughs> Find gotcha. where we're at. Yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we also last night decided to watch. We keep every time we're on Amazon Prime, we keep going past Ghostbusters. Answer the call. The 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 women the version of Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. the new the one. lady one. Yeah. Because I I saw it at the cinemas, but Liam never saw it, so he's mm-hmm. like, "Let's give that a watch." Yeah, so I saw put it on last night. Yeah. And it's the it was the extended edition of it too. So there's like an extra five, ten, fifteen minutes of footage in there. Okay. So I, the funny thing was watching it for the second time. It's kind of like because you you were telling me you were rewatching um, the Rise of Skywalker recently, episode mm, nine, yeah. right? And I think and I have a sort of similar vibe to it. It's like I think Answer the Call is fundamentally fundamentally fine. Like it's got a solid enough story. The plot is fine. The designs of the ghosts and stuff are good. Mm. It just fails at the execution mm-hmm. from there on. And mostly the problem is it's just not very funny. The funniest part is still Chris Hemsworth. And he's not yeah. amazing in it. It's just mainly because he doesn't seem to be trying as hard as the rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. Because I think those women, I think Melissa McCartney and Kristen Wiig and like, um, uh, who's the other one from SNL? Who's the name I've forgotten all of a sudden? Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon, thank you. Uh, and Leslie jo- Leslie Jones, is it? Yes. Yeah, uh, they're all very funny women. Mm. Uh, t- Kate McCartney, Kate, see, I keep getting the mix with the Kates. It's Kate McLennan and Kate McCartney. Is it's it, Kate McKinnon. It Kate McKinnon. Yeah, this is where I'm getting confused. Wait, is it McCartney Kate- or McCarthy? There's Kate McCartney and there's Kate McLennan and there's Kate McKinnon. So this is where I get confused. Too many Kates in my world. Oh, you're right? talking about the Funny. catering Kates. The Kates. Right. Sorry, there's an Australian duo, the Kates, <laughs> and they've got... Yeah, anyway. Kate McKinnon. What, I think she's extremely funny from what I've seen of her on SNL, which yeah, is not a heat, but I think she's a very funny lady. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know they can be funny, but for some reason this film, it just doesn't seem to work for me. There's too much emphasis. It doesn't mesh at all. I just don't think... I think they've been let down by a script that didn't try to do the work to make sure the jokes were in the script and instead said, ah, just ad-lib and we'll edit it later. That's what made... 
it's so frustrating for me when I was watching in the movies. I was like, yeah, I get that you think that people want to go to this film and just watch these women ad lib. That's actually yeah. not what I want to do when I see a film. Um, it's it reminds me of you know those. Adam Sandler films that he makes with all like his friends and stuff. We're like, I'm sure, sure they think it's really funny on set to be like, la 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 la. But I want to watch a film with characters that make sense to me, who interact in a way that feels organic to the world, and not like they're performing for me as an audience member. And, and Kate McKinnon's character in particular Ugh. really represents that, where mm-hmm. they just let her go completely crazy. And an individual moment, if you showed that to me, I might say is amusing. But put it all together, I'm like, this is not a character. This yeah. is not a person. Such this a is shame. I can't identify or care about this person. So I just think it's yeah, it's just a flat script, lack of direction, and a lazy edit. And this did not need an extended version, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, when you they, said I, that I groaned. I was like, what do you mean? It's more of it. It's weird because it kind of did, because I remember when I first watched it, there's this weird moment at, between the end of Act Two and Act Three, mm. where all of a sudden Kristen Wiig's character. Aaron is just not with the group. Right. And that's important because as the final, the, the third act stuff starts happening, they, they have to be put back together, right? They're separated. Mm. But it was never explained why she wasn't with the group. And so they've added this scene back in that does say her going, oh, I've had enough of this. I'm just going to go home. I'll see you guys later. I'm right. like, that, <laughs> I suppose you explain where she went, but also there was no dramatic tension there whatsoever. Like... <laughs> Surely what you want is, like, yeah. there should be a fight at the end of Act 2 between mm-hmm. Melissa McCartney and Kristen Wiig's character and they, like, have them have a falling out because they've had this tension about being abandoned this whole time Then they have, mm. a, and then they come back together one lot, like, just basic, like, story stuff that could have been there that I think the, the only thing I really remember from the film is when Kristen Wiig's character is trying to get to the mayor and she oh, says something like, about don't be the mayor from Jaws or something, yes, which yes. made me laugh in the cinema, yeah. That, and that moment actually still ends. That yeah, was not a bad moment. Um, and then after that, we decided, hey, let's watch the original Ghostbusters again. Mm-hmm. So I'm like going to say something kind of controversial. Oh, hot take, hot take. Yep, 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 I, yep. I think the original Ghostbusters is kind of overrated. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely good. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It's not answer the call. But I don't think it's great. It's mostly memorable. The bits that we mostly remember about Ghostbusters mm. is Bill Murray. And it's Bill Murray yeah. just being Bill Murray. And there are some very fun ideas in there. Mm-hmm. Like, particularly the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man stuff is very fun. And, like, they hit certain notes well. And there's a lot of whatever in between, honestly. Look, I, I don't think Dan Aykroyd's that great, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't yeah, grow I up did. with Ghostbusters, so I don't sure. have that attachment to it. Um, so I watched mm. it as an adult in a very different time. Um, and I had grown up experiencing very different sense, a different sense of humour. Sure. I'm more of a Jim Carrey girl than a Bill Murray. And I love Bill Murray now as an adult, kind of what he's done later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't attach to it at all. I could kind of see why people liked it. I think if I watched it as a kid, mm. I would have fucking loved it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I just don't have that connection with it. So, And that's probably it. It's probably, I just never, I think I attached more to just the catchy theme tune than I did the idea of like Ghostbusters. And, but that, mm. see, that's the bit to me that is why I'm worried about this new Ghostbusters film that's coming out whenever it comes out. Mm. Um, because they seem to be really focusing on, on like 
the lore of like the Ecto-1 and the proton packs and blah. And I'm like, is that really the thing that made Ghostbusters Ghostbusters though? Or was it the chemistry between uh, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and like... I think it it depends who's watching it. I think if you're an adult now and you grew up watching Ghostbusters, Busters, and now they're going to make this new one. I, you mm. probably, honestly, no matter what they do, you're probably not going to fucking like it. So just accept that now. Sure. Um, but if you're a little kid and you know you're allowed to watch that stuff, you'd probably love to like learn more about like all their cool gadgets and all that kind of stuff. It's it's kind of this similar thing with Star Wars, really. It well, we've already compared. I think the trailer for the new Ghostbusters does look like The Force Awakens. Is what they're going for, you know? Ooh, they found Luke's lightsaber, and mm-hmm. like, oh, they found Egon's yeah. uh, stuff. You know, there happened to be descendants of him, whatever. Anyway, very, yeah. very Force Awakens vibes. Uh, I don't want to keep this going too long, but we did watch Relic, the a new horror I film directed that too. by. Oh, here we go. Directed by Natalie Erica James in her directa- directorial debut, mm-hmm. uh, from a screenplay by James and Christian White. It stars Emily Mortimer, Robin Nevin, and Bella Heathcote. It's produced by Jake Gyllenhaal and executive produced by the Russo brothers. Did you mm-hmm. know that? I did yeah, know that's that. Cool. <laughs> um, so. The weird thing was this was, we actually watched this, we started to watch a, another Australian film that came out in the last few years, Top End Wedding. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. And we got, a, we started to watch it and we're, we're enthused to watch it, but we got a serious case of Australian movie. Does that make sense when I say yeah, that? it does. Like, yeah. you start to watch it and you go like, I like these people, I get the concept this needed about three or four more rewrites. It's mm-hmm. like, the, the, it just is feels uncooked. It's not finished, yeah. whatever this is. Um, and it's like, you want you want to root for it because it's the little Aussie film that could, mm. but realistically, I, I, I wasn't vibing with it whatsoever after yeah. 20 minutes of watching it. So um, we jumped up. We we're like, oh, let's watch Relic because mm-hmm. Australia seems to do horror films pretty well. Like, mm-hmm. I love The Babadook. And uh, I love Saw, which is apparently an American horror film, but it's written and directed by two Australians from Melbourne. So you tell me uh, where that's from. Um, and I got to say, I thought Relic was really, really good. Beautiful, haunting, tense. It's not a revelation as far as horror films comes. It's another entry in the horror as metaphor for something really sad that happens yeah. in our in our lives. But it's a very, very effective one of those and mm-hmm. gripping the entire way through and... Quite beautiful and mm. yeah, left yeah, it, me. It felt moved. like a modern horror, so it yes. feels familiar in that sense. And like you said, it's not a revelation. Like it feels, mm. it's being made expertly, hitting all the things that it should be doing. Mm. Um, so it's achieving everything that it's setting out to do, while not like redefining the genre. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, and I, the metaphor is it's on the surface there, but it's still mm-hmm. very affecting because you know. Dementia sucks, yo. Like, as someone who's probably going to get it, knowing my family history, um, ter- it is terrifying. Sure, um, sure. So, yeah, it's 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 a good Australian film. I liked it and I was- No, no, that's the thing. It's not just a good Australian film. It's a good film. Like, yes, this could have come out of anywhere and it's a good film. Well, that, ha- that's the thing is like, yeah, it's nice to be able to say it's a good film that is mm-hmm. Australian- Sure. Because um, yes. it's not often that we get to do that. Um, yeah, we do often get like an undercooked, you know, it's developed and it feels like it's developed. And I haven't seen Top End Top Wedding, end wedding. Um, 
so I'm not talking about that film specifically, but Australian films in general, it feels like it is half a story that a bunch of like people in Australia who control a lot of our fucking media say like, oh, well, this will be able to be sold here and overseas because it's Australian and it's like we're going to explain Australian things to them and it's going to be a little lame and family friendly and it's trying to do mm-hmm. so much but does absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to actually have a film that is Australian that feels like it stands alongside international films. Well, it's interesting because we've just talked about who executive produced this. The mm. Russos and Jake Gyllenhaal. And so, to me, it sounds rather than trying to tick a bunch of like uh, check boxes mm-hmm. from a committee or something like that, where all of the funding has probably come from Screen Australia or Screen Victoria or something like that, they've got these people who work way higher up in terms of mm. in Hollywood who have gone, I like your idea. I want you to fund it and do this and do it properly yep. and see your vision through. It doesn't feel like Jake Gyllenhaal's come in and gone, I've got a bunch of notes for you and I want you to do this instead. Mm. You know what I mean? Or you need to hit these targets. It's like, that's a really solid script. I like the idea. Let's make sure you can do, get this to hit all the right notes in terms of you can pay for the actors you need. You hit all the visual notes you want to hit, all the great sound design, all that sort of stuff and just execute it. Mm-hmm. Like really slickly, which is what yeah. this film does. Because it was, was it made by the Russo brothers, their production house? I think so. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Because I think, because I was reading an article after I was, you know, now that when you watch a film, now you immediately go on Twitter or whatever and you find an article and then you just go into the, the labyrinth of information if if you like it or, or if you really, really hate it. Um, yeah, it was like Jake Gyllenhaal had seen, I think, a couple of her shorts or something mm-hmm. and then she had this film and he was like, this is awesome and took it to them and they were like, you're right, it's awesome. And then they just, you know, gave her the opportunity that was well-deserved, clearly. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so it's... I recommend people check out Relic. I'm not sure where you can get it in the States, but... You can get it video on demand. So, you have to rent it. Mm -hmm. But in Australia, it is... If you have a Stan subscription, it is free to watch. And that's how we both watched it. Uh, Yeah, really, really good. What did you think of Emily Mortimer's Australian accent? Really good. I think there are a couple moments. I think they might have been ADR in which Mm -hmm. it wasn't quite as strong, but it was probably obviously in post and then... Yeah, she wasn't on set every day with a bunch of Australians and working on it every day. So it was just like a slight word here or there, but otherwise fucking good. Well, the funny thing is as well, she's English, yes, Emily Mortimer. So I think it's like if you slip a little bit into a little bit of your like RP accent Mm. in Melbourne, you get away with that anyway. And this is set just outside Melbourne. Yeah. Um, It was close to Kate Winslet, who is so far the best Australian accent I've seen by anyone who's not Australian. Just in the dressmaker. So good. So, have you ever watched that Elizabeth Moss show where she does an Australian accent? I have not. Or What's is it the show? A, no, I think it's an Australian accent. It's like Top There's, of the Lake or something, but I saw a preview of it and it was so bad. That I was like, I can't fucking watch that. I'm not sitting Oh, she that. couldn't do it? No. Oh. I mean, there, it was like, you know, like when they really kind of try to make it Australian and then a word falls out. You're like, that's someone who that's socioeconomic level in that area of Australia would not sound like that. And it's yep. it's kind of the old school Australian, you know, Crocodile Dundee almost. Um, That's not a knife. That doesn't this really exist yep. in metropolitan or much of Australia Hasn't existed anymore? for 30 or 40 years yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, actually, just very off topic quickly. Mm. Have you, you remember the, the Kate Blanchett starring role in, or she's one of the characters in Stateless? 
It's a oh, Australian yes. show. Yeah, yeah, we've been speaking so about that's doing that. Seems mm. to be getting international attention at the moment, mm. um, which makes me feel like maybe we should discuss that. We haven't mm, discussed sure. an Australian show in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, if it's getting sort of seen overseas, maybe we should have a look at that. Uh, just quickly though. After watching Relic, we're like, hmm, what other films are set in Melbourne or around Melbourne? Mm-hmm. So, on Stan, there's a bunch of them. Because um, they got a bunch of Australian stuff on there, which is cool. Uh, went back and watched The Castle, or The Castle, oh. 1997. Australian classic. I love that film so much. For those who are not aware of it, now it's about a... Now, that's a film with a voice. Oh, boy. It, well, it's about a working class family from Melbourne uh, who take the fight to the government after being told they must vacate their beloved family home to allow for infrastructural expansion. It is a film that I I think a lot of Australians feel, have a lot of affection for because it feels like pro- probably especially white Australians, let's be honest. Yeah. But for those people like you and me, it feels like it's very representative of us. It's like what Kath and Kim does. It feels mm. very true yeah. to our experience of living in where we do in Australia, yes. basically. And genuinely um, funny. Like, it's a very funny film. It's a very funny film. And I am surprised by how well it holds up. Like, mm. there is a bit of nostalgia me just loving, like, oh, I know he's going to say, how about that serenity? and How's like. Yep. Jenny, Jenny, or microwave Jenny, and little things like that, right? That you like, you look for those lines. Tell him he's dreaming. Yeah, yeah. Tell him he's dreaming. <laughs> That's going straight. Yeah. Anyway, there's a million and one of them. Um, if you ever want to understand, like, I don't know, it's it's probably a good one to watch and try. If you're if you want to know what it feels like to be Australian and mm-hmm. our sense of humor and comedy, watch this, and you'll probably scratch your head and go, "I don't get it." <laughs> but we get it. You might it. not, though. I don't know. You might not. Give it a try. It's not a long I mean, film. I mean, talking a- about someone who wants, who's considering buying jousting sticks just to buy jousting <laughs> sticks. I mean, I yeah. I think that's pretty funny. What you gonna do with jousting <laughs> sticks, Dal? Um, the I found out today it only took eleven days to film. <laughs> two weeks to write, 11 days to film, two weeks later or three weeks later, they had a rough cut of the film done. Brilliant. It cost $175,000 to make and it made over $10 million in Australia. Oh, anyway, good on you. Good on them. Um, or $750,000 might be. Anyway, the, the thing that surprised me though, it has aged well. Mm. For a film that is very, very white-centric in Australia, mm-hmm. there... There's always that worry there's going to be some racist stuff yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly a couple of stereotypes in there, particularly around, I think it's Farouk, who's like their mm. Greek or Lebanese um, or Middle Eastern. Uh, they never really say explicitly, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, neighbor, he definitely leans into a stereotype. There's one particular line um, about his relationship with Cash that you might argue that people in that who come from that background would laugh at and agree with, but still feels like it's a little it's mean coming from make. the white guy. Yeah. Exactly right. But overall, I think it's still quite, um, yeah, it's, it holds up very well. And while I don't know whether we should be necessarily equating the story of the Kerrigans with colonial uh, colonization, right, mm. colonialism, they do make a, a point, I think the film is actively trying to talk about, I think he says this country needs to stop taking other people's land. Yeah. And it's like it's hard not to feel like it had its heart in the right place and that mm. it's got the right thing to say, even if there are zero indigenous people in this entire film. <laughs> yes, that needs to be noted. Yes. I think that about does it. We should wrap up. Uh anything else you want to talk about? Anything Absolutely else not. Good. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Off Topic Hot Topic. We'll be back fairly soon, hopefully in the next uh few days, with our 
uh, next review episode all about Black Sail Season 1. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.